had, oh yeah, they're right here. I said, I had a bunch of notes, and I went, hmm, where'd I put them? So um, tonight, we're going we're gonna to be in um, chapter 2 of the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is one of the four prison epistles that Paul wrote when he was in prison in Rome. And we're going to start in chapter 2 at about verse 20 tonight. I really need to grab another... Get this one. Jackie's got a, a nice big pulpit up there, but I'm more comfortable down here with, with the regular folk. <laughs> so, anyway. So, chapter 2, verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So we live together in this fallen world, and we are breathing in the spirit of the prince of the power of the air. The devil, Adam gave away his birthright. He gave away dominion of the earth when he sinned. So then the devil took over. He, has, he, he will have his way, but God has it all in control because in the end... We win. He will come back. He will judge. And we will reign with him forever and ever. So some of the things that happen when we're in this world is we live by rules. We live by, um, well, I'll put it this way. I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't run with girls who do. And the reason is, what's that, John? Our class won the Bible. That's right. <laughs> yeah, class 101. So the thing is, is we get religious. We get real religious because we, we, we live by a set of rules. I became a Christian, and I got fire insurance back in 1981. I thought it was a good idea that since... I was now raising children or my wife was going to have our first baby that I should get religious. So I'd get a little religion, religion in my life. So I went and prayed the sinner's prayer. And then I quit doing all the things that you don't do. And we don't need to go into all that. I'm sure we all have our own testimony. But we started living by a new set of rules. And so... We're talking here, he says, why do we subject ourselves to these regulations, to the way we live? Now, the Nazarite vow, it was a voluntary vow, but I was kind of thinking about it in a way because it says, do not touch. They weren't supposed to cut their hair. So I will equate that with not touching. It says um, that we're not supposed to taste. They weren't supposed to drink wine. They weren't supposed to drink strong drink. And it says, do not handle. They were not supposed to be around 
uh, dead bodies because that made them unclean. So there was that set of rules. But then if we jump over into 2013, you know, you can think of all kinds of rules that we don't do today. You know, if you're a real Christian, you don't, whatever, fill in the blank. So that's what, that's what Paul's talking here. Why are we subjecting ourselves to regulations according to the commandments and doctrines of men? And then it says, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom of self, or in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So, what happens here is, okay, we got our self-imposed religion because we, have, we are now living by a new set of rules. Probably won't see anybody drinking alcohol in the church or smoking cigarettes or whatever. Probably won't see that inside the church. But that's, that's kind of a set of rules that we try to live by. But that's a self-imposed religion. The false humility is when we don't do these things, we forget from where we came from and what we've been saved from. And so then we start thinking we're just a little better than the guy down the street. But we don't have to go very far back into the past to realize that I was the guy down the street. But you know, you kind of get just a little puffed up like, yeah, you know, I'm doing pretty good compared to the guy across the street, you know. He's out there with his beer and his on his riding lawnmower in the little beer thing, you know, and, and I'm, I'm just mowing my front lawn just with my riding lawnmower, you know. And so you, you just start feeling a little bit, a little bit good about yourself. But it's only by grace that we're saved through faith. It's God's unmerited favor. And here's a problem. We don't talk about mercy in the church anymore because when you'd water down the gospel, you don't need mercy because you're not talking about God's judgment. God withholds judgment. That's, we need his mercy, but we don't talk about it in the church. We don't say, you know, how, how, I mean, Jackie, I appreciate Jackie. Jackie does not pull any punches. He doesn't water down stuff. He, and he plows right through everything. That's why I love being in this church. Because you're not going to hear some namby-pamby gospel message. Jackie is going to preach it. But, but it's God's mercy. He, he, he gives us his mercy. He withholds his judgment. We are not that good, folks. We, we stink. Really? It's only by God's grace. Only by God's grace we can enter in. Okay? So that's what he's talking about here. And then it says, and neglect of the body. Okay. Well, I'm just going to be real honest with you. I did a 21-day fast back in February. And I am now a fasting stud. You know? <laughs> if you guys want to know about fasting, hey, I read the book Awakening and that Weems guy, and, and I did it. So what? I mean, for me, I had a spiritual awakening. I had a very amazing thing happen to me. I was, I was not born again, but I... I had revelation, really, of who God is. But we can't take those things we do in buffeting our body, fasting, putting on sackcloth and ashes, or doing whatever we do, and think that we're just a little holier. All I did was lost 17 pounds. I didn't need to lose 17 pounds. (laughs) But I mean, so I buffeted my body in a sense. And yes, it was amazing. And yes, I I would recommend that you guys do a fast. 
21 days is a long time. I wouldn't just jump into it. I'd go like three or four days and then work your way up. But I'm not going to tell you that fasting is, is, not, is not profitable, but in and of itself, it's nothing. It's just, it's just an exercise, okay? So that's what I'm trying to say here. So we buffet our bodies. Now, then it says, but there's no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So what is indulgence? Wow, that's a big word. Three syllables, and I only got a high school education. Well, let me tell you. Indulgence means to satiate, uh-oh, there's another word, the desires of the flesh. So what does satiate mean? It means to glut. You know, like the word glutton, which we don't talk about in America because gluttony is a sin, but we don't talk about it. But it's to fill beyond our natural desire. It's satiated. We're overflowing. We're full. But the problem with that is, is people can be satiated, filled up, but they may not, but they're not satisfied still. So, you know, like, okay, you get a toy. Like, I, I really want a new car. I'm dying to get a new car. I've got a 92 Buick Century and a 95 Grand Marquis. Both of those cars between them have about 500,000 miles on it, and I'm not kidding. So I'd like to have one of those nice, small SUV Toyota RAV4s, or there's another one. I'd like a 2013 because I want to smell new. But here's the problem. Once I get my 2013 Toyota, I'm going to be looking for the next toy. You're never satisfied. And what does the word say? The Bible tells us, it says, to be content in every circumstance. I whine about my job. I've been a one-income family for 32 years. My wife has not had to work. We raised seven kids on one income. Why am I whining? Why am I complaining? It's because I want more. If I just had a little more, if I just had a little more, I'm satiated, but I'm not, I'm not full. I, I'm not, I can't get filled up. I want more and more and more. And you know the feeling. You know, you've probably bought toys and they're in the closet now. You know, you got it and then you moved on to the next thing, right? Okay, so that's what satiates. So it says, those things, the self-imposed religion, the false humility, the neglect of the body, they are no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Now, those things do lead us into bondage, which is sin. We take those things and we start living them and we start lusting, we start coveting, we start, what are, and that's all sin. And so, we, I, I start getting into a bondage to these things because it feels good. And it's fun for a while, but what does it say? The wages of sin is death, right? So if we, if we keep traveling down that road and we get off the straight and narrow path, if Jesus is not the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, if that's not our goal, and we get out over here and take a left-hand turn and start chasing stuff, we're going to be way out there before we know it, and then we're going to have to work our way back. And boy, that's hard, but it's doable. It's, God is a redeeming God. If you get yourself out there, he is a redeeming God. Okay, well, let's move on. Chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. The phrase that I want to talk about right there is seek those things 
which are above. Matthew 6.33, you know the scripture. But seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Hebrews 12.2, I love this scripture. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We're looking unto Jesus. We're looking up to Jesus. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus where he is. Looking means we want, in this sense, is fixing our eyes. It's giving our undivided attention. It's, it's, It's gazing. And we want to have, our eyes want to have nothing in front of them but Jesus. You know, if there's anything that is between me and God, it has got to go. So the word says in Proverbs, it says there is one that's closer than a brother, and that's Jesus. So I want Jesus right here so I can't see anything else. When I, when I look out, I want to filter everything. I want to come to a place in my life where I filter everything through Jesus. I want to see everything through the eyes of Christ. I want to be looking up. I want to fix my eyes on him where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And it says over in Ephesians, it says that positionally we are seated in the heavenlies. That Christ is far above all rulers and principalities and dominion and every name that is named and God has raised him up. And positionally now it also says that we're there with him. So praise the Lord for that, that God, God allows us, he makes it possible for us to rise above. Seeking means to search out the thoughts of Christ. At, and at first, like I was saying earlier, the prince of the power of the air is at work. So at first, when we were new Christians, or for carnal Christians, we're going to have a hard time getting our eyes up, on, up to the Lord because it feels unnatural. It feels unnatural at first to making decisions for Christ and to, to see how he lives and read about how he lives and live according to him and be obedient to him. But after you begin to make this transition, then you will all of a sudden begin, it will become natural to you because your spirit will be ruling your life and not your flesh. And that, we talk, that talks about that in Galatians. The word says, for you died, in verse 3, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's where we want to live. We want to live to where we have been crucified with Christ. And we still live. We've we've died. Our old man has died. And our new man is now walking by the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is leading our lives. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is not a doctrine. It's not an it. It is a he. 
He is the third person of the triune God, and he lives in us. And if you know Jesus, you are sealed in him. But as Jackie spoke a few weeks ago back in Acts, you can have the power, you can be endued with the power on high, from on high. The Holy Spirit can give you the dynamite, the dunamis power to live this life. Verse 5, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, and all those things, it says, which, is, which are idolatry. All of that stuff is idolatry. Fornication, in a broad sense, and since we have younger people here, is basically adultery, anything that is immoral sexually. Fornication. It covers the whole, the whole ugly thing. And man, is it ripping our society apart. It is embedded in our society. It's, it's, it shouldn't be that way. It's in the church. There are some statistics I read that are appalling. It should not be in the church, church. It should be. If it's out there, we need to be speaking to it. But it needs to be, we need to be walking in purity inside, inside these four walls. We need to be walking in purity. So then there's uncleanness. That is the impurity of lustful thoughts and impure motives. So uncleanness. Passion. Passion is a zeal for stuff that is, that is just wrong. It's just we have this passion. We just have to have this, whatever it is. And then we have covetousness. It's a greedy desire to have more. And then it says all of those things are idolatry. Well, Idolatry is anything that we worship that is not God. So it can be, it can be anything. And it, it's an excessive attachment or the, or the highest degree of respect and reverence which borders on adoration. And Israel, in the Old Testament, many of their kings were godly kings, but what they did not do is they did not tear down the high places, they did not destroy the idols, and Israel suffered as a people. Um, I think Hezekiah and was it Josiah were the two kings that actually cleaned house, tore down the, tore down the idols, tore down the high places, the altars where they sacrificed. And so idolatry was rampant. Idolatry is rampant in America today in 2013. We again need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto us. Verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, Blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, 
since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Well, anger, well, first off, to put off means to lay aside, lay down, cast off, put away, just get rid of it. Put off things that are hindering your walk with Jesus, whatever it is. It's really hard to do this. You know, I I mean, I'm pointing four fingers at myself. I I pray that I'm not coming off harsh. I guess I'm emphatic. (laughs) But I, I want to exhort us because I would love to see us come to a place where we are just walking in unity and purity together and that we would see God really move in our our midst. So anger is kind of like it's an agitation of the soul. I thought this was really good. Agit- or anger and malice. If it's like anger is a pot of simmering water where you got the little bubbles coming up and the lid on and the, the lid's just kind of going maybe a little bit like this. Malice is when the, it blows the lid off. So malice is beyond anger. Malice would be not just thinking about something, but acting upon it. Um, and so, now I know Jesus doesn't give us an out there because Jesus says, if you so much look at another woman lustfully, you're committing adultery with her in your heart. So he kind of cuts right to the quick there. So if we're thinking bad things, it's as if we're doing bad things and we need to repent and we need to get right. But that's just the difference between anger and malice. So anger, once again, is just the, the lid on the pot just kind of simmering. Malice is when the pot's jumping and there's water pouring out. The, the next thing that it talks about is blasphemy. Well, blasphemy simply is... It's slanderous speech. Blasphemous, blasphemy is slandering um, another person. Have you ever kind of got caught up in like Christian concern and, oh, you know, brother so-and-so is really struggling right now. We need to pray because he's dealing with whatever. And now we begun to gossip, slander maybe if it's something that's not even true. But we need to really be careful. You know, we hear a lot of stuff in the church for for reasons for prayer. Like when people are in groups praying or we're praying up front or we're praying in Bible study or we're praying wherever. You know, we have to be careful that we are handling those prayer requests very gently. Because those are people's lives and those are people that are exposing themselves very private things in their lives sometimes They're exposing themselves, and we want to carry those things with them, but we want to be praying for them and not spilling out into other places. We shouldn't do that. Um, I just want to encourage us. I'm not exempt. I, you know, sometimes I just go, why did I just say that? So we need to be very careful on that. And then filthy language. Filthy language is foul speaking or low and obscene speech. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace 
to the hearers. The word corrupt means reduction of purity, fineness, quality, or value. Something that's rendered impure, something that is changed to a worse state. And so, I know that we hear out in the world every day. I work out in the world. There's 12 people in my office, and we have 12 telephones going almost simultaneously. And we work with truck drivers. That's not a blanket statement against truck drivers because there's some really nice guys. But the language flows and the stories go. That shouldn't happen in the church. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you're sitting with a bunch of brothers and all of a sudden there's stuff that shouldn't be said being said and you're going, man, I'm really uncomfortable, but I don't have the guts to say, hey, is this, is this edifying? Is this building up somebody? Or is this tearing somebody down? You know, you guys have, your, you have my permission to say, hey, Bob, is this edifying? Is this building somebody up? Bob, does that feel like slander or gossip to you? Please, correct me. I just don't have the guts to do it to somebody else. <laughs> I guess I need to just man up, don't I? But it shouldn't be in the church. You know, it just shouldn't. We, we, need, we need to, our, our own selves, well, that's nice English, ourselves, we should... Be very aware of how we are speaking because words matter. Words can cut people down. It can tear people up. It can beget an atmosphere of crassness. And it just shouldn't be like that. We need to, we need to step it up. Okay? So then it says in Ephesians 5, just to stay on that same thought, therefore... This is Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And then verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, listen to this, let it not be even named among you as is what? As is fitting for the saints. But rather giving of thanks. So, let uncleanness and covetousness and fornication not even be named among us. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. Bob, watch your mouth. Bob, watch what you say. We want to see revival. God, God, I know God, it, something's going to break forth, bust forth in this church. Jackie's praying for it. There's a lot of people praying for it. Praying for revival to see God just miraculously and amazingly just break forth. And we're not going to be the same. If we ever get a vision for revival and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us, we're, we're not going to be the same. But it starts when we start when we start asking God to reveal to us what's going on in our own lives, when he asked Bob Papik, Bob, what are you doing that for? Why are, you, why are you angry? Why are you bitter? This is way off the subject, but, and this is just good. And you've probably heard this before, but I'm going to say it anyway. Bitterness is a pill that I swallow hoping somebody else is going to die. 
bitterness is deadly to you and to me. If I'm walking in bitterness, the person I'm walking in bitterness toward may not even have a clue that I'm bitter. But, but you know what? It's killing me. And it's been clinically proven that bitterness chemically changes the makeup of a person's body. And so people that may have um, manic depression or whatever, it could be as a result of bitterness. My dad was a very, very bitter man. And about 41 years old, he was, he was diagnosed manic depressive. And he was bitter his entire life. He was 41 when that happened, and he was 85, 84, almost 84 when he died. And he was bitter that I know of for 43 years. And he never really got healed of that because he rejected, he rejected, he rejected relationship with Jesus and embraced a religion. And his religion wasn't really doing anything for him. Which brings me to another point. Don't let your Christian life be a religion, a set of rules. Bring it back. Let it be a relationship with the living God who wants to change you from the inside out, who wants to restore you, your brokenness. Maybe I had, I had a 42-year sin in my life and this last retreat, on Saturday afternoon, I had got done teaching about idolatry. And the Holy Spirit was just working me over. And I had to take a brother, and we went into one of the bedrooms there. I sat down on the bed, and I said, I have to confess to you a 42-year sin, because God is not going to let me suppress it any longer. And I started crying. And praise the Lord, I am delivered. He healed me, and I've walked away. I've walked out of it, and got, I left it at Camp Perkins in that room. And my friend, who I trust, I trust he won't slander or gossip. And if he does, he won't, because I know him. I know his heart. But I'm just saying, those are the kind of things that someone may take you aside sometime and say, hey, I have to confess this. I have to talk about this. I need somebody to share this with. I need somebody to pray with me and intercede for me because I am weak. And so that's what I'm saying. If somebody comes to you, I know Howard Namey, sorry to pick on you, but they got Celebrate Recovery. You know, it is a Christ-centered I don't like to, I don't like to call it a 12-step program because 12-step programs might make this pillar right here your higher power. This is my higher power. But celebrate recovery. Your higher power is Jesus Christ, and they unashamedly tell you that the higher power is Jesus Christ. So, my, but, but what I want to say is, how many things are said in that group? People with real hurts and hang-ups and habits. <laughs> yeah. But Howard and Amy are people that you can talk to because they're not going to go blabbing it all over the United States. But that's the kind of people that we want to be. We want to be that kind of people because people are going to come to us and go, like when revival breaks out here and people start confessing sin, and I believe that someday we're just going to be turning around right in these pews and we're going to be praying, you know, 
Robin and Butch are going to be praying right there, right? There's little four people right there. They're going to be praying right there, and they're going to be calling, they're going to be calling out sin. They're going, to be, they're going to be slamming it down. They're going to repent right there. It's going to happen right where John Roberts is. It's going to happen right where Alan and, and, and Shauna are. We don't have to come up front to pray. We can have revival right in the pew. Man, and we don't get prayer yet. We need to get prayer. You can call a potluck. How many people come to our potlucks on our koinonias? You can't even get in that room anymore. There's so many people. There's like 220 people in that room. You know what? We have a Friday morning prayer meeting right up on Broadway, not far down the street, and we have eight people show up for that prayer meeting at 6 o'clock on Friday. Eight people. We have a prayer meeting at Bible study at my house. I've been having Bible study at my house for four and a half years. We have never had more than eight men show up for a Bible study, and the whole church is invited. We need to understand prayer. That is so hard to pray. I hate to pray because it's hard. <laughs> but God wants us to pray when we're on our knees. That's when things change. That's when things happen. We need to get that unnatural thing and make it natural. We need to be breathing prayer. It says what First Thessalonians, it says, pray without ceasing. All day long, you can be driving down in your police car, Rusty, and you go... Jesus, I just want to lift up this store right now, Lord. That person walking in, they look like they really need a touch from you. That's all you got to say. John Roberts, he's out there being a, being a uh, real estate guy. He's out selling ranches and houses. And, you know, he's driving around. He could walk in these people's houses and he can see stuff in houses. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now that you would, you would just, you know, you would just cast down the strongholds in this house. You would set these people free. So... We need to start praying. Jackie told me to say all this, by the way. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, we need to start praying. So, and then last, it says, in verse 10, it says, um, and have put on the new man. I think I had a verse go away here on me. Oh, no, I didn't. And put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. There is no distinction between anybody that comes into this place. You know, I, I'm going to be honest. Every once in a while, this is not to my credit, every once in a while somebody will walk in the church and I'll think, what are they doing here? Oh, shame on me. What does the word say? It says we're not to, we're not to give preference to any man. You know, some guy comes in with rings and all this. Well, you sit up right here in the front row. You know, you're, you're good. We, you know. And then some guy comes in that come off the street, and we go, we don't even give him the time of day. He might sit in the back, give him a bulletin, hi, how you doing? And people file out the door, and he's standing right there. It is to my detriment. It is to my shame 
that I don't reach out to everybody. There is no distinction in God's kingdom. God died for that man that's in the back, just like he died for this guy right here. In fact, the guy back there may be closer to Christ than this guy is because it's that it is harder for a rich man to get to heaven than it is for a camel to get to the eye of a needle. We cannot judge the spirituality of somebody by what they look like. I could be a total facade right now, but I'm up here standing up here preaching. I hope I'm not a facade, Lord, forgive me. But I, but I mean, but I mean, we need to be the real deal. You know why? I'll toot Jackie's horn again. You know why I love this man? Because what you see is what you get. I have never in my life had a pastor so transparent and so honest and a wife that is so transparent and so honest that love Jesus and exude Jesus and lead people to Jesus. That's what he models. That's how we should be. We should be transparent, on fire for Jesus, drawing people to Jesus because the people that are leading us are the ones that are setting the model for us. We are not getting a pastor and a pastor's wife who are up here. We have a pastor and a pastor's wife who have their sleeves all up. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this later, but on uh, the 15th, uh, it was in March, it was someday. In March, there was, Jackie did two baptisms, one after first service, one after second service. He did a wedding. He, he preached two services and he did a fifth thing that day. On top of teaching five days, he, he teaches like Tuesday night, he meets with a couple young men. Wednesday night, he teaches service. Thursday night, he's got a really good Bible study, men's Bible study. You got to go. It's Revelation. And Friday, he was doing something. Saturday, he was here at the church doing something. And Sunday, he does five things. This man is unbelievable. Let another man toot your horn and not yourself. So I'm tooting his horn because God is spurring us on to be like Jesus. And he is setting the example. And he is imparting that vision. And we have the opportunity to, to get it. Am I doing okay? I'm not, I'm not yelling at you. I'm sorry. I, I get kind of excited, you know. <laughs> anyway. Okay, well then, Christ is our all in all. Well, I won't give you the Greek lesson because we already know it well. <laughs> so, but he is. Jesus is the completion. Wherever we are lacking, Jesus completes us. He completes us individually. He completes us as a body of believers at Calvary Chapel Buell. He is our all in all. He is completeness. He completes us. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then it says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Did you hear that? We are complete in him. That's Colossians. I'm sorry. This Colossians 2, 9 and 10. It's just up the page. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him 
who is the head of all principality and power. Where we can't, where we fail, Christ is. He is the head of all principality and power, and he is seated at the right hand right now. The right hand just means the right hand of power. Well, I have good news. I ran out of notes. But I just, I just wanted, I just wanted, I didn't know what I was going to say tonight. I, I wrote notes, but I didn't follow all of them. I guess what I'm trying to say is I want to exhort us as a body. I want to spur us on to righteousness. I want to spur us on to good deeds. I want to spur us on to faithfulness in Jesus. I truly believe that God is going to bring revival to this place right here. And like Jackie said, I don't care if anybody ever knows that revival started right here. But I'm praying that direction, and I pray that you guys would join us as a body. And you know, this is kind of a core group, because the Wednesday night group is kind of the people who kind of show up more often. Sunday mornings, why don't you get out of your comfort zone and walk over to somebody like Joe and say, Hey, Joe, you know, can I pray for you? And I bet he's going to say yes. Can I pray for you? Yes. Yeah, see? It's not. But let's step out of our comfort zone. Is there something you can share with me that's okay to share? Right here? Is there something you can pray? I can pray for you right now so we can kind of give him the model for what's going on in here. Perfect. So let's just let's just pray for Joe. Just like this is what we're going. This is what we can be doing on Sunday mornings, guys. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my brother Joseph, and God, I pray that you would empower him with your Spirit, Lord. And I pray as he goes to work every day, God, that you would protect him on the roads while he's driving. And I pray, God, that you would just fill him to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, that he would know what the height and the depth and the width and the love of Christ and Christ Jesus that you offer to him, Lord. And God, I pray you would lavish your grace upon him, your unmerited favor, that he would just sense your presence in his life like never before. And God, that you would bring revelation in his heart to walk with you in a deeper way. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for letting me keep getting appreciate it. But anyway, that's, that's what it's about. We need to just step out of our comfort zone. All of us can use prayer, okay? So, I don't know. I don't even know how to close. I, 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 I'm, okay, I'm just going to say I'm done. So, um, let's just pray. And, uh, you know, let's just do this. If anybody in this room would just like to pray, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'll be quiet. And if anybody would just like to pray, then we'll just let people pray. It's only 8.15. We get out at 8.30. So, but if anybody would like to pray, please pray. And then when it seems like it's really quiet, I'll go ahead and finish. But if, if it's real quiet to begin with, I'll just go ahead and pray, okay? So just anybody just want to open up, be great.
privilege that we've had to be here tonight and uh, God I pray that our hearts would be moved to action and Lord those areas that just pricked us a little bit God I pray that the light would come in and pierce the darkness Lord that we would be able to be walking closer with you Father God I thank you for um, our pastor and his wife I pray for traveling mercies for them tomorrow God I pray you would bring them back to us safely And God, as we get to hear the word on Sunday for Father's Day, God, would you be blessed. You are our Father, and we just praise you, Lord. And I just pray now, as as we go home, that you would give us traveling mercies on the road and bring us back again on Sunday, Lord, that we could hear your word and be moved to action. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
guys, you just experienced the largest prayer meeting that this church has had to date. Way to go. 